all the way from a secret location in New Zealand, it's The Rambling Geek, the podcast where two geeks ramble about geek stuff. Brought to you by the fine folks at Yancey Street Deli, home of the country's most fantastic heroes. Sandwiches, that is. Tell them Aunt Petunia sent you. And now, here are your hosts, Mike and Brian. Take it away, fellas. Hello Ramblers, we are back. I am still Mike, and with me as always, the other half of our dynamic duo, Brian. Hello. Man, it's been a while. It's been a long while. But we're back with a vengeance. It's the season of the bat on the Rambling Geek, where over the next few episodes we'll be riffing on different facets of Batman in pop culture. So there's quite a few cool things coming up, Brian. Are you excited about the season of the bat? Excited about this, I thought, yeah. When you first pitched the idea, I think we had some really good chats about what we were going to do, and there's a ton that you can do. I think we picked some pretty cool things and some pretty cool people to talk to and with. Hope you like it. And we're certainly kicking off in style today because we have a very special guest, co-creator, co-producer of the animated series Batman the Brave and the Bold, Mr. James Tucker, which we'll get to soon. But Brian, we had a pretty fun chat with Mr. Tucker. It was, I thought it was a fantastic chat. He was super generous with his time. So generous. Yeah. Mm. He, and it was a great chat. We, it covers lots of things. Learn a lot about him and his career, how he got to The Brave and the Bold and beyond. A whole bunch of behind the scenes stuff, um, really interesting things. And don't worry, folks, it's way more of him talking than us. Yeah. And it's, in fact, he was so generous with his time that we're going to have to split this into two episodes. So that was a nice surprise for us, and we were just eating it up. Definitely. It was one of those ones you really don't want to stop the recording. It was, yeah, tons of fun. Gold. It was gold. So we hope you enjoy it. We're not going to ramble on this first episode because we figure if James Tucker's name's in the title of the episode, people aren't here to listen to us. So what do you think, Brian? Should we just get on with it? Let's do it. All right. So we'll be right back after this brief message with a conversation with James Tucker co-creator, co-producer of Batman The Brave and the Bold. The Rambling Geek will be right back after this. So you're asking yourself, what is Punch the Timeline about? The subject is comic books and why they are awesome. They would sooner just be like, the first person to say, I killed Batman. They would immediately get shot. And they're like, I killed the man that killed Batman. And then they'd get shot until there was only one left. That's how crime works. Punch the Timeline is a podcast about pop culture, but mostly about comic books. I'm making an executive decision as a co-host on this show. We're going back to this. (laughs) I've already read to 15, Jared. I'm ready for another episode. And yeah, the description does say the best Rush song ever. So I went with Subdivisions, Time Stand Still, and Free Will. Punch the Timeline is... A couple of guys screaming about comic books because we love comic books. This book is an absolute cash grab and a waste of your goddamn time. But we hate them because we love them. Mm-hmm. 
You're listening to Punch the Timeline with Jared and Devin. And now back to the Rambling Geek. Welcome back, Ramblers. It is a very special day today because we have with us a very special guest. He is an animator, writer, director, and producer working for Warner Brothers Animation. He is the co-creator and producer of the just fantastic animated series, Batman the Brave and the Bold. He is the one and only Mr. James Tucker. How are you, sir? I am terrific. I'm great today. Thanks for joining us. Oh, pleasure. Anything for New Zealand. Nice. And you've, you've been to New Zealand, right? Once. And I'm dying to get back. I, I, I came for Armageddon back in 2010. And uh, I, it was a work trip, so I didn't get to see a lot. But what I saw, I loved. So definitely want to get back. Brian, you met James, I believe, on the trip. I did. One of my favorite Armageddons, genuinely. <laughs> it was, And I have a uh, the sketch to, to prove it, which I can't show because we're audio here. But we'll end up on Twitter. <laughs> Copperhead and the Shade. Now, were yeah. you got were you doing podcasts at that time? Was it was, no. have you guys been around that long? No, we started no, during oh, the okay. COVID thing. Ah, oh, so you're fresh. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm honored. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yep, yeah. that's a good word. I like that. Can can we use that? James fresh. It's not fresh. it's not a new word, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it's it's a new one for a podcast. I like that. Oh, okay. There you go. Right. So, for the listeners who are maybe not as familiar as us because we are definitely fanboys. And if it sounds like we're gushing over you, it's all legitimate. It's, it's not just because you're on the show, (laughs) but can you give the listeners a little bit of your secret origin, how you got into animation and, (laughs) and what you have worked on? I got into animation. Well, I will just preface this by saying everyone who's in animation probably has a little, at least of my generation, has a little different story about how they got in. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, I kind of backed into it, really. I was, uh, I went to, I went, went to school and I thought I was going to, there were, the school I was in was a state college in Tennessee. So that, you know, it wasn't like Cal Arts or any place that had a real um, pipeline into the animation industry. And so I, t- I was, ma- you know, I, I took those classes and stuff, but, you know, it was like more of like, okay, what am I going to do with this? Um, fast forward 10 years later, and I'm moving from Tennessee to Chicago, and I happened to read an article in a, when a back then when they had magazines, kids. Um, <laughs> uh, anim- it was an, an animation article about a, a little studio in Chicago, outside of Chicago, actually, that was doing... Um, uh, a show called Tasmania, strangely enough, coincidentally enough. I remember that show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a, you know, Tasmanian Devil had his own cartoon for a while. And I was like, huh, well, I'm moving to Chicago. Maybe I should call him up. So I co called these. Now, this, anyway, everything that happened should not have happened. And if, if I had maybe done it a day later or too early, it might not. Anyway, I called up. They said, sure, come in, bring your portfolio. I went, oh portfolio oh i didn't have a portfolio (laughs) 
because <laughs> I didn't. I ended up not really majoring in animation, and that anyway. Long story short, I spent the night drawing my portfolio, which you know. Wow. If I had known all they needed to know was that I could hold a pencil, I and it would have got hired anyway. But uh, so anyway, I show up and I get the gig. It's an entry level animation. Pr- There's a small studio in Chicago that is getting outsourced from Warner Brothers to because the guy who ran the studio was an animator. And he had worked a deal with Warner Brothers. John McClanahan, the studio of Star Tunes, legendary, has created a lot of people who went on to work in the industry, like Tony Cervoni, who just directed um, Scoob, mm-hmm. and uh, Spike Spike Brand, who's and they've both done so much. Jeff Sergey, who uh, was a, a director producer on the Mike Tyson. Anyway, there's just, there's a lot of Holly uh, animation people who came out of that studio in yep. Chicago. So anyway, I basically got hired and started at the bottom, which wasn't that far down. <laughs> and uh, basically, they trained me. It was, it was, I was basically that was my schooling. That was my Cal Arts was Star Tunes, and um, and so we did Tiny Tunes, and then we did uh, we did some uh, Tiny Tunes. We did a Tasmania, and then they got a big contract for the first season of Animaniacs to do ten episodes. So that was a huge deal and a huge learning curve. And so uh, after that, we finished those episodes, and then the, there was kind of a, a lull where we got laid off, and we all went our separate ways, and some of the people went out to L.A. and immediately snapped up jobs. And at the time, I was like, I'm not going to L.A. I, you know, I was a diehard Midwesterner, Southerner type. I was like, I'm not going. Until I heard that Bruce Tim, who had been doing BTAS, Batman the Animated Series, was was starting up Superman the Animated Series, and I went, ooh. And now I had, I had Spike and Tony were out in L.A. at that point. I had moved on. I was actually designing Happy Meal toys for McDonald's for really? a, a year. Oh. Yeah. But I got that gig after Star Tunes. So, I, you know, I never wasn't employed. <laughs> I've, le- I've had a really blessed career, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I just fell into jobs. Now it was the '90s; everybody was falling into jobs back then. But anyway, um, so I happened to ha- have vacation time. Went out to LA on the vacation. Called up Spike and Tony. They gave me a, got me an interview with Bruce Tim. Again, showed him my portfolio, which wasn't very good because it was all you know. You know, it wasn't anything to do with superheroes except. The night before, and as always the night before, I said, let me draw some stuff in Bruce Temp's style. Just, just you know, what I thought was Bruce Temp's style. Once I started working for the guy, I was like, ooh, how did he hire me? But anyway, <laughs> and if I hadn't done that, because he was looking through my portfolio and not loving it, and he stopped on those two pages of doodles, basically, and uh, he said, huh, He's like, well, you want to be a character designer? And I went, uh, uh, yes, please. <laughs> he, mind you, he didn't really know I already at that point at Startoons I had, I had, you know, basically been an animator, and and so I I had a lot more knowledge than just character designer. But he didn't know that at the time. But he liked what I he liked my drawing style and that I could draw like him. So um, anyway, fast forward, show up to the studio the week of the OJ verdict. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just thought was funny. You know, here's the black guy showing up, and OJ just gets off scot free. I don't know. Uh, something, something yeah. prophetic about that. I don't know why 
it was just funny to me. I, I always say that because it was just really funny. Because it was very like, oh shit. <laughs> um, excuse me, I don't know. Sorry, excuse my French. Uh, anyway, so I was a character designer, and then you know, I always tell people about animation: just get in the door. If you can get in the door, in the room, mm. and make the most of it, stuff will start to happen. But you have to get in it, and once you're in it, it's, it's about staying in it. And so, like, you know, I was a character designer. Well, then they found out, oh, he, uh, he's animated. And then there was an opening for a storyboard artist um, because one of the storyboard artists had been made a director. And then later uh, on Batman Beyond, one of the the, the director beca- went on to do Return of the Joker. So there was a slot for director. Anyway, so but once I got in, I just, every time there was an opening, I just said yes, you know, and I know, you know, I just kept contributing, you know, like if it wasn't even a show I was on, if they needed a character design, even though I was a board guy, I would do the character design, you know, rough at least just to say here, I'm in, so I was very, I wasn't, I wouldn't call myself ambitious, but if I saw an opportunity, I never, you know, I always took advantage of opportunities, but I didn't like, you know, I wasn't stepping on anyone's head to get anywhere, but, um, you know, anytime they asked me to do a little bit more, like when they asked me to be a director, I was not expecting that. I didn't campaign for it or anything. I just, but I didn't say no. I didn't let insecurity stop me. So anyway, fast forward to that, uh, the Batman Beyond episode I directed, uh, you know, Bruce, Tim put it up for an Emmy nomination and we won. Wow. Oh, nice. Congrats. Thank God. It was the egg baby. <laughs> If we had lost, I don't know if I would have, I think I might be, you know, working somewhere in a, you know, well, I was going to say Tower Records, but they don't have those anymore. No, no. So, um, and, uh, and from then there, he, you know, by that point we had been working together five years and I think he just realized I was kind of in sync with his, his aesthetic. And then he, so he asked me to be a co-producer along with Glenn Marikami on um, the first uh, iteration of Justice League, and uh, you know, that's at least the first uh, ten years. <laughs> uh, so basically, you've just worked on every show we all grew up with, by the sound of it. I guess you know. Yeah. I you know I work with people now who grew up on the stuff mm-hmm. I worked on. It's just mind-boggling to me that they're looking at me like. I won't, I'm not comparing myself to this guy, but like when I was in the office and we would ride up in the elevator with people like Bill Hanna and and, Bar, and Joe Barbera. Oh my gosh! They're they're looking at me like I'm like I'm not that freaking old. <laughs> those dudes, those dudes were ancient when I was, uh, you know. It's it's probably more more the awe than the age. I guess so. Well, the fact that even anyone knows who does what, because I mean, I didn't know what those what Hanna Barbera looked like. Hmm. You know, but now with the social media and everything, everyone knows the people who make this stuff. When I was coming up, everything you know, cartoons were a mystery. You had to really work to find out how they were made, you know, and that mm-hmm. people made them. So, yeah. anyway, I don't know if I answered everything, but I uh, let, you know jump in whenever because I will go off on a tangent. So, is is that a is that a typical track? That's a hell of a lot of stuff to have done. Is no, that kind of the way it normally no, works. I mean, no, not a, well. I don't know if there's a normal because, like, you know, the guys I came up with or work with, like Bruce Tim, he didn't go to an animation school. 
Yet he's, you know, he's worked on The Secret of Nim. Like, I mean, when you lived in L.A. back in the, you know, 70s and 80s, you know, animation was just another factory job you could get if you happened to draw well or, you know, not even draw well. You know, it, was, it wasn't like there were schools feeding, you know, I think CalArts was helping Disney get animators, but mm-hmm. people who are going into TV and stuff, you know, they didn't spend, you know, a bazillion bucks just to get a TV job. And back then, TV jobs and animation were seasonal. It wasn't like a year-round gig. You worked for, you know, you did, it was a Saturday morning cartoons. I don't know if, do they, do you guys have those? Did you have those back in the day? Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it wasn't like you could work year-round on an animated, in animation necessarily if you weren't, because they weren't even making that many features back then. So I don't, you know, and I got in right as all of that was starting to change. But the the guys at Warner's, None of us had really gone to animation school, at least not, not those big anim- You know, we'd go to you know people may go to a trade school that happened to have you know animation involved in it. In Chicago, there was a, a school called Columbia that did train uh, people for animation because that's where they used to make the Captain Crunch commercials and the yeah. um, Fruity Pebbles and all that. <laughs> anyway, that was the extent of animation. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, people are, you know, I mean, I don't recommend it, but they're spending a lot of money to get these, uh, you know, degrees in animation and then coming out and making really low low money because nobody gets paid big bucks going right into animation if you're entry level. But anyway, so no, just to answer your question, no, my my route was very, (laughs) was suit. Anyway, it was a roundabout way. Mm. I backed into it, basically, because I, I moved to Chicago not knowing what I was going to do. I just had to get out of Tennessee. Like you said, your chances came and you took them. Well, the thing is, I will say, I do think, I know in my head and in my heart, animation was a dream job, but it wasn't a conscious effort. It was like there was a little spark inside of me that, if or a divining rod where... If I saw an opening to get toward it, I would go through that opening. But I didn't know where it was leading. I would just say, okay, well, that's an opportunity. You know, I mean, I just happened to read that article about Star Tunes. If I had not read that article, I would not have known about Star. You know, it was just, I was lucky. I, I really think I was lucky and also prepared. You know, I was prepared for luck to happen. I guess that's the only thing I could say that I, I had in my favor. I find I've been watching a lot of biographies on TV and I find mm. that a lot of these people who are successful in whatever uh, industry they're in, it's sort of that same sort of thing. You know, one thing yeah. happens and then it follows on and follows on and you take the opportunities yeah. and yeah, I mean, yeah. living proof right here. Well, the trick is I always just say, I never said no, or at least cause even, I mean, and, and fate was in my favor too because I was interviewing in other jobs, and I I was lucky in that there was a I interviewed at Startoons and then I interviewed at this other place that developed slides or something because I needed a job I didn't care you know and uh, the guy at the slide place said well you draw really well why are you doing this he's like I don't think I should hire you because this isn't what you should be doing I mean he told me that and I was like oh okay you know so I consciously was not. You know, I just didn't, I was just trying to live, just trying to survive. And, and you know, things just guided me toward where I needed to go. And I recognized it. 
you know, I think that some people don't recognize when they have an opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe it overwhelms them and scares them or something. I don't know. I can't only speak for me, but I was like, what do I have to lose? You know, the worst thing, what's the worst thing can happen if it doesn't in my, in re, result in my death, then I'll be okay. You know, it's not like, it's not, I'm not jumping out of a plane or anything. I'm just applying for a job. So. Yeah. Will you it know. kill me? No, I'll do it. Okay. No, that that was my criteria. Yeah. <laughs> now, fast forward, some of the, the animation job almost killed me a few times. But anyway, no, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. But yeah, just once I got in, I, you know, I don't know. I just, there's a culture at Warner Brothers that I guess I just fit into. I was not, I know I wasn't a Disney guy. And I know I wasn't really a Nickelodeon guy. Like, there's a culture of Warners that, I don't know, we're, we're scrappy and we, we do a lot with less. So <laughs> we're used to that. Now, we're, it's not always been that. It's not that way now. Like, we, we get what we need now. But anyway. But I would say that <laughs> unquestionably, and again, not just because you're on the show, but uh, Warner Brothers, especially when you look at the DC properties, just... Right hits it out of the park with their animated shows. hundred percent. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I would say Warner's has the best toys. That that's the thing. I wanted to be where they had the best toys and <laughs> they had, you know, the Looney Tunes, you know, just worrying on Looney Tunes was great. And uh, the anime, you know, just the, I don't know, there's something. And then DC, I'm like, I was, I'm a huge DC fan. So that was a dream gig. And it was like, there was a no brainer. If I had the option to work on something DC related, I was going to take it. Yeah, so. can only I mean only speak from having seen things on say the the special features on on DVDs or Blu-rays or things like that, or uh, John DiMaggio's um, documentary. I know that voice, but yeah. from all of the the Warner um, things that I've seen there, it just looks like a ton of fun. It's like everybody's having a. a I mean, it must be really hard work. I'm, I'm, I'm I have no doubt. Oh yeah, it really looks like it's fun. And you guys are really, um, really enjoying what you're doing. I, th- you know, and I, I think you it know, comes from the cartoons then as well. I think it feels like yeah, it comes from the cartoons. yeah. I think I think you have fun if you really want to be there. There's not, you know, there's not there, the thing about animation is is that some people get into it just by accident. I mean, I got into it by accident, but I wanted to be in there. But there's some people who get into it, artists who don't, they don't think highly of the stuff that we're doing, and so they don't last long because they're not. They're not enjoying, you know, they have other aspirations, which is fine. Hmm. But, yeah, you really have to love the stuff. And, um, you know, it is, I mean, they talk about this in regards to actors. But what they do, you know, when they, they're in a play, you know, the, you know they're acting. They're, it's called, a, like when Andrea Romano would welcome um, actors into the recording studio. She's like, oh, so glad you came to play with us. So it's very... Oh. We go into it, everyone's a professional, but we, you go into it with a sense of fun and openness, hopefully, you know, I mean, not everyone's that way, but to me, I'm like, this is everything that happens to me after I left my mom's house is great as gravy. You know, I'm like, I'm like, I am, you know, like it's a, every day was like pinch me, you know, and I never really lost that. Yeah. Some days it's a drag. Some days it's hard work. Some days things don't go your way. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm freaking in. I'm doing something that at five years old, I I was thinking, wow, I don't know who does that or how they do that. 
but it would be cool to do that. Like, I remember that. So I'm like, whoa, I can never get blasé about it or, or take it for granted, you know. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm almost retirement age, to be honest. So, <laughs> I mean, I can, you know, I'm, I'm only, I haven't had less, I don't love it less, but I am ready. You know, I, I can see myself saying, being full, like saying, mm. okay, sure. that's enough. I'm going to pull away from the table now i've eaten you know but uh yeah no i've it's been a it's been great i mean i haven't i've not done anything i hated doing but that way which is you know not a lot of people in animation can say they loved almost every project they've done so well that's that's amazing so if we can skip to um batman brave and the bold um so please your your show followed the what most people consider gold standard, the legendary Batman animated series, Batman Beyond, uh, Jeff Matsuda's The Batman. Yes. All of which were, you know, the, the darker takes on Batman, like most people associate the character with. Yeah. And then along comes Brave <laughs> and the Bold, right. which is decidedly lighter take and yeah. very Silver Age. Um, right. And I just wanted to know, uh, how did Brave and the Bold come about? Uh, let's see. Well, um, I was finishing up Legion of Superheroes, which was the first solo show I produced. That's an underappreciated show too. That's really cool. Very underappreciated. Well, you know, I mean, I think that's my subheading is everything I've done has been underappreciated at the time (laughs) I did it, but I'll take it, you know, better late than never as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) But you know, I mean, that's, and I don't know if that's, I think fandom has a certain set way of looking at things. And there's certain people that are in certain positions that, okay, the minute you see that name, it's an instant pass. Like, okay. And I, you know, not every, I'm one of the guys who, you know, there's lots of us who just do work, jump, go from show to show. We do good work, but, you know, it's hard to break through to where you're, you know, someone sees your name and goes, oh, you know, that's going to be good. You know, every, you know, so I feel like a lot of times everything I've, have done since I moved away from the DCAU stuff or the produ- Bruce Tim produced stuff has been every time is proving myself again. Well, cause Bruce and so I don't, is, I don't, yeah. And which, you know, that's to be expected. I mean, it's like, you know, everyone, you know, you work with someone who's iconic when by the time I, by the time I showed up to work with them, he'd already done BTAS. If he had done nothing else, but BTAS, he'd have been, iconic so but anyway all this to say so back to your the question um so we were finishing up um um legion and i was you know the i knew the dark there was the nolan dark knight movie was coming out and um you know the studio was in a a kind of a low point like there wasn't a lot going on and in fact we were all wondering what was happening next and um sam register who later and to become running the studio. But at that time he was, he was, you know, an executive and he said, I need to sell a Batman show and it can't be dark. Like it, it doesn't have to tie into the, to dark Knight Cause that movie's going to be too, too dark to even try to mimic, you know, like you right. can't. And also, you know, he had spearheaded the, the Batman and he wanted, he, you know, the thing about Sam is every time he, um, executive produces a show or gets a show in development he 
you know, he wants it to be different than the last time he did it. Because, <laughs> you know, there's always going to be a Batman show. We, will just, we just need to admit that now. <laughs> <laughs> there's always going to be a Batman show. And whatever the show is, the, whatever the way it was done that time, the next time, if Sam's involved, it's going to be radically different. So it just so happened that they wanted something radically different. You know, like they didn't want dark. They didn't even want visually dark because I don't think the Batman was especially dark in the content of it. Like, and that some say that was kind of the problem is that the stories didn't echo what the visual style of the show was. Right. You know, except the fourth season, which was excellent. Anyway, I, I know that because Michael and I are friends, and he he was the he, the story guy on that season, and it really showed a marked improvement but anyway i can say that now whatever <laughs> uh i like that anyway show. so michael and i speaking of michael i mentioned him because he was with me on legion and so we you know sam rolled us into working on this batman pitch and you know batman was something i said i was not going to touch because after watching what the guys on the batman went through by being in the shadow of btas mm. i went there's you can't compete with btas you will always be compared to it it's not. It's a no-win situation. Well, we were talking, and then he was like, "Well, I wanted young skewing." Sam said, "I wanted young skewing." I was like, "What does that mean?" And and so I was so far afield from what I, my instincts were by that point, because I was so used to what, you know, had been established. But my core, at my core, brave and the bold is what I used to think Batman had been. So I had to kind of rediscover that, that sense of that kid inside of me. Because I was like, oh, you can't do Batman. You know, my head was not in that place yet. And so and so then we were sitting there trying to figure out a way to do it, which, you know, kid-friendly Batman that's not stupid. And this, I guess someone had mentioned to Sam that I had done the, I had storyboarded that segment in BTAS um, Legends of the Dark Knight. And I had done a Dick Sprang um, mm -hmm. homage. Yeah. And I had storyboarded and done character designs. I basically they were all focused on the Dark Knight Returns segment. Darwin Cook did that, and uh, you know the the whole the majority of the energy was going toward that segment. And they pretty much said, "You do the Dick Sprang stuff," <laughs> you know. So I pretty much kind of mini produced that segment of that. You know, I mean, I did the character designs, I storyboarded it, and everything. That's one of my favorite episodes. You know, mine too. I mean, I, you know, getting a chance to do that Dick Sprang segment was like, again, that was a bucket list thing. I was like, oh, I'm done. You know, <laughs> never knowing it would come back around. And so, and so we're sitting in the meeting and Sam goes, well, why don't you just, why don't you do something like what you did in that, that board? And I went, really? Like you would, you would want that? <laughs> he was like, yeah. I mean, at this point he wanted to sell a Batman show. I don't know how. He was, you know, that's the other thing is that um, normally these developments for these shows go can go months and months and months. And for Brave and the Bold, it was like, oh, do that Dick Sprang thing. That, that was it. You know, that was pretty. I mean, there was a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely giving you a shorthand version. There was a little more to it. We did reach out to a few artists to, 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 uh, come up with different styles and, and Sam didn't really, none of them gelled with Sam cause they were still a little too serious or, and he really wanted something that just leaped out at you and said, this is not dark Batman. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
even though I know from reading the comics, even those comics of this golden and silver age, there would be silly stories, but then there'd be a dark, you know, noir story, you know, and it was, it was a mix. It wasn't just stupid. So. No. And I think, I think people might've gone in with the wrong impression because it's definitely not a, a kiddie show. I'd say it's an, an all ages show because yes. the, while the, the art style might be a little lighter than what we got on BTS, yeah. um, the stories are still not kiddie stories. They're still serious, but they're fun. Yeah, I wanted to run the gamut because I just mm. I remember, and I tell this too is that when I was coming up in the seventies, I'll date myself because I don't care. But uh, <laughs> there were you know the comics in the seventies were unique in that because there was a crossroads of the new style that Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill were doing, yeah. mm-hmm. but it was in conflict with what had only been a few years ago was the sixties and the fifties and the forties. And so DC wisely would do these compilations where they would have a new story. It was they were a hundred page spectaculars, and I I bought those as much as I could, you know. And um, so they would have the new story, a modern story, done at the front of the book, and then the 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 back of the book would be like five re, you know four or five reprinted stories from all over, you know, like from the thirties, the forties, the fifties. And so, you know, reading Batman, you'd read the darker uh, Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill written story. Mm-hmm. And then the next story would be, you know, uh, uh, Bill Finger and uh, Shelley, Shelley Moldoff or Dick Sprang. You know, and I'm like, wow, this is the same character. Mm-hmm. So in my head, when I went into Brave and the Bold, I'm like, it's all Batman. All of these iterations are Batman. It's the same guy. Um, because the other thing about the 70s is that they weren't, because they weren't that far removed from those earlier eras, sometimes they had continuity issues where, you know, Batman would meet a character that he's like, oh, yeah, I teamed up with you back in blah, blah, blah. And it'll be like 20 years. <laughs> like, they, they, their, their time issues were, which is what led them to do the crisis later, is to try to fix all that, which they didn't. But anyway. Didn't, yeah. Anyway, so all this to say is that Batman... The idea of Batman in my head was much more broad than just the dark, you know, 80s, you know, post-Dark Knight Returns Batman yeah. or even the, the the Tim Burton. You know, like, yeah, I'm like, Batman's inherently dark because that's just how he dresses. But he also has, you know, he also smiles. He also, you know, he's a human being. So, you know, he's not he's not this perpetually damaged thing necessarily mm-hmm. you know I, I think mike's right that you um, there's the blend of it in there as well because I, I keep thinking when you said dick sprang when you see the joker yeah. design and oh yeah Bold, that's dick sprang joker yeah and it, oh it's, yeah, and it's brilliant. yeah. It, it fits so well but then you've got the episode where the, the crossover with the the evil justice league and they're torturing the dick sprang joker because <laughs> yeah. he's the good guy and so you get the dark right. and you get the light and it's all of this this, this meld together and it yeah i don't you know i don't yeah, the only thing I can chalk it up to is that nobody, when we decided, when they told me I could do what I wanted to do with Brave and the Bold, everybody kind of put their hands up because they were expecting it to be reviled. <laughs> I mean, I, we got so few notes on it because nobody wanted to have a part of it. I'll say that now. It just felt that way. Maybe it wasn't really that way, but we didn't have a lot of interference. Like we, you know, and usually. 
when people give you a lot of notes on something, it's because they want to get their name on it or they want to be considered a part of it. And, you know, they really don't have that ownership unless they give you, you know, a bunch of crappy notes. So, uh, so they let, they really let the inmates run the asylum on, on a lot of that. Cause I mean, there's some really dark stuff and I counted it. We, our kill rate on that show is higher than BTAS for sure. <laughs> like we didn't have, our BSMP wasn't nearly as stringent as it was on, um, on the first iteration of uh, or on BTAS. I've read those stories. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. were always going to the, you know, and we had guns all over. We killed people. Mm. I mean, yeah. killed Bawana Beast. Yeah, I mean, we killed people. Yeah. Yeah, um, you killed, killed Bawana Beast, and I was so shocked. And then the Doom Patrol, <laughs> which worked out the right yeah. thing for the story. But I, I, yeah. Yeah, I was really surprised that I wasn't expecting yeah. it in that cartoon, and it was so effective. Yeah, they just let we were we were ignored, and it always works to our benefit when we're ignored because people just thought, oh, this. Well, they wrote us off, and again, the I would say you know the early art that came out. That's the other thing when you develop a show that fast. There's you don't get to vet a lot of stuff. So I was still coming up with the style of the show when we started production, and you know, once it gets greenlit, they want all this pr- pr- promotional stuff. And they literally were taking stuff off my table, you know, that I was like, I don't know if that's... So a lot of the early imagery that came out, though it was in spirit, the spirit of the show, it was probably a little too kiddie-centric um, than what we were ultimately going to do. You know, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, it was like, sure. that That looks too kiddified, and we're not really going to do that. The, the style is can be used in more ways than what was... It, so it looked... It looked juvenile in a way um, that we really haven't. We never really got out from under that. Even with people, you know, we, people. The first impressions do matter, and and that that thing came together so fast that, you know, it took a long time to turn people around on it. Even people who, you know, people were. It wasn't so much that they disliked it; they just weren't even sampling it at first because they had written it off initially, you know, and so. You know, it's it's always hard to you know when you get out of the gate with a an incorrect impression of what yeah, the show right. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's also you you think of things like Kevin Conroy is well, yeah, most he's people's Batman, right? Yeah. And and then we're not going to have Kevin Conroy in the show, so then right. another thing to write it off for. But I have to say, inspired casting by having Diedrich Bader as oh, Batman. Oh yeah, I you know so I good. knew. I knew it would be him. I don't. We auditioned. Um, we auditioned, but I, I was like, it's going to be Diedrich. I didn't. And and it, it wasn't even that. It, I mean, his audition was good, but I was like, I know he. I know he's he's the guy. Because mm-hmm. you know he. You know because we had. I hadn't really been able to um, tell them how the show really was. So the, a lot of the auditions were treating it like a straight. You know, B ish kind of show. So his right. his audition and a lot all the all the auditions were taking it a little too serious. And I was like, well, Diedrich, I know can, and it's not even that he's funny, but he is. Yeah. But it's like he understands humor, and he knows how to make. There's a kindness in his voice that just comes through, and I was like, this Batman has to come off as as stern. A little humorless, but that's the humor of him, is that he is humorless. But also 
genuinely like kind. Like there's a he's he's you know bat dad in a way, mm-hmm. and also because he is the focal point. He's the touchstone for the show. Meaning the real the show is really not about Batman. It's about all these different characters that guest star and how Batman relates to them and introduces them to the audience. So it had to be someone who could can be congenial, almost like a host. And and that's kind of how Diedrich was in the recording studio cuz he he'd be the only constant person at every record cuz everyone else was a guest star. Right. And it would be like, "Oh, he he really took ownership of it and uh you know, he would greet everyone who came in and you know, it was like, "Yeah, welcome to our party," you know. So he was great. I mean, that Perfect casting, perfect in many ways, because he's just a good person, you know, and his family is lovely. His son um, was little at the time and came to, he is a huge DC fan. Mm. Like, this kid was six years old and knew all the Green Lanterns. Wow, nice. <laughs> I mean, all of them, like Green Lanterns I had never heard of. <laughs> I mean, he was a, That's I mean, right there. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, was, I and I saw a lot of myself in this kid because he just he liked what he liked, and he knew you know immediately he was a DC fan, and it was like at six, so the the whole myth about kids DC or comics not appealing to younger kids is not true, evidently, because he he found you know I mean there's a comic book store around the sh- corner from their house, so. <laughs> I think that he wandered into it one day or something. I don't know, but that kid was amazing. Anyways, it just they were. It was great. It was the whole cast, all the guest star, everything. There was not one misstep. Because you know, Don, John DiMaggio as Aquaman. Oh my gosh! That's you know, a, if we had, uh, if we had got that wrong, that that was such a a huge part of the enjoyment of that show. Yeah, and um, it's a. Talk about a breakout character. Like who? Oh, no. This is before nobody cared about Aquaman. <laughs> yeah, this yep. is before you know the the movies, and yeah. no. Aquaman was a joke. And a you joke, sort of embraced yeah. that joke, though. The thing is that we we didn't push away from that. Mm-hmm. It's like, and you know, I was you know, I was a producer on Justice League, and that you know we went in Justice League with Aquaman is basically Conan the Barbarian. You know, we're like yeah, trying desperately to make him cool. And it's like the the more you try, the less cool he is. And uh, so on, on Brave and the Bold, and I think Michael had a hand. He understood what we needed to do in that. We're like, well, no. Okay, he yeah, he is, he is funny. He doesn't think he's a joke. Right. You know, regardless of what anyone else thinks, you know. And then when you, if you look at Aquaman's stats on paper, he's not a joke. You know his powers, his 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 scope, what he controls. Yeah. I mean, he's a he's huge. He's so yeah. yeah, so we're like, okay, he doesn't have to. He can be arrogant in a lovable way, but he's he at his heart, he loves being a hero. He loves, you know, he he is enjoying his life. <laughs> so and, totally. Uh, yeah. And so we went and once we went at it that way, and once John really caught on to it. You know, once he realized how broad we would let him go, it was like, you know, it started just writing its, well, I won't say it wrote itself, but he, he became fun to write for. And, um, 
he was a go-to guest star. Like we fit him in stuff we he probably shouldn't have even been in because he was just like, <laughs> okay, well, what do we need in this episode? Oh, Aquaman. It was like he was like the cilantro of the show. We just uh, nice. <laughs> throw a little bit of him in there, and uh, you know, whenever we were stuck for you know trying to make something pop, the episode where he's the the inside. Journey to the Center of the Bat. I yes. Think. Is that what it was called? That was probably the first the episode. Atom. That's, that's yeah. there's so much fun with Aquaman. He's having, it's yeah. a, such a fun ride inside Batman's body. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, teaming, you know, teaming. I mean, I don't think Aquaman's dumb, but he's not. He's intelligent, but he's not book smart. He's just, mm-hmm. he knows what he knows. Uh, and he sees everything on the surface. So, you know, teaming him up with an ultra nerdy smart guy, it's just, mm. It just kind of, it was like, oh, this is hilarious, you know. I mean, I mean, I would have watched a show with them just as roommates, you know. Like, <laughs> I like we just just send them on vacation or something, or, or you know, like they. Anytime we had them together in a in an episode was going to be hilarious. So. But no, Aquaman, and I was like, he could get, he could do his own show. He could definitely, there could definitely have been an Aquaman show for I, that. I would have watched that show. <laughs> I, you, you could have done that with with so many of the characters in yeah. there. Because I mean, you you really you you ran the history of the DC universe mm-hmm. in that show, and there's so you many know, characters yeah. where you could have done they could just easily have spun off into something. It was such a well, that was just a, a you know, board. absolutely. And that was the I mean that show for me was just my kid you know run amok because I yeah. you know we didn't have to do the teasers at the beginning which used different heroes, but I, mean, I can't I was like I want to do that. Because selfishly, I wanted to be able to use characters that, you know, you know, we were like, we only have 26 episodes. Mm-hmm. And then the, initially, because the toy company was involved, they mandated, we had to divvy up a certain group of characters, like five characters that needed to be repeated because they were doing toys on them. Aquaman was one, Red Tornado, Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. So if you notice the first season, they show up a lot. Yes. And I was like, yeah, I love those dudes, but there's so many other characters I want to get to. And if I, if I have to devote these 26 episodes um, between five guest stars, I'm going to, that's, it's, you know, I didn't want to do that. At least I didn't want to be restricted by that. So I was like, let me, let's do teasers, cold openings where we kind of give the, a character a dry run. And then maybe later go back and do an episode around them if they pop. And that was really just me wanting to draw Commandy, you know. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, and it wasn't great for production because every teaser was almost as much work as what the rest of the episode. I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was intense. It was a lot of work, but it, you know, people seemed to enjoy. The crew seemed to. At least from what I hear, you know, I don't know if they're just, they're not, I don't think they're just saying that, but they, I think they enjoyed that show. Like, people liked working on that show. You fit characters in that you would never expect to be on a mainstream Batman show. You've got Sportsmaster, you've got Buana right. Beast, Commandy, uh, you've got both Blue Beetles, you've got Ted Cord, actually, and the one yeah. before him as well, and Jaime, who popped up a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Miracle, Booster Gold, Doom Patrol, like Brian said. Just oh the the range. If you hadn't done those cold openings, the scope. Right. This I don't think. No, it would have been redundant. Yeah, it wouldn't it would have, have captured the spirit of Brave and the Bold as as no. much as you did. I think. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, and re- then, I really have to say thank you for getting Zatanna in. I love Zatanna, yes. and it was Jennifer. Oh Hale. yeah, thank well, thank yeah, you so much once for we, doing that. I mean, my only regret of that is I wish we could have. We I wanted to eventually go back and do a full episode with her, but I knew if yeah. Deanie was writing because with Deanie that that was the chill of the night episode, right? Mm-hmm. That she's yep. is that because that's the only problem with the teasers is that I will remember a teaser and not remember the episode it was attached to. <laughs> right. So when I try to research something, I'm like, oh, what was it? Because the episode has a totally different title. <laughs> the teasers are, you know, they're just their own thing. But um, because he wrote that episode, you know, he basically asked, could I, can I write Zatanna in the Lovely. teaser? We're like, you'll knock yourself out, you know. Uh, <laughs> Paul Dini did a couple of really good episodes in that as well. He did, obviously he did the finale, which we'll talk about uh, soon, yeah. but he did the Batman Strangest Cases episode, if I'm he not wrong. He did that. He did the first Batmite one. Mm-hmm. He did uh, Chill of the Night. I mean, the thing, I will say this, is that Michael and I would would um, basically break the story. I mean, we, we knew what we wanted before we pulled a writer into the room. Right. And so, you know, but with Dini, you're like, he's going to nail it as soon as you hand it to him. Let's pull like Dini. The little, mm. Yeah. I mean, you don't mm. – there was very little rewriting. The only, the only thing about Chill of the Night was that Dini – I don't think he realized that at that point we hadn't introduced Alfred as a character into the story. Yeah, true. Like we had, had him in flashbacks, but we hadn't given him a voice or anything. That didn't really happen until I want to say season three or maybe the end of season two. You hadn't even had Bruce Wayne as an adult up till that point, had right? You? We, no, that's right. I, I, I had a no Bruce Wayne clause as far as showing him, <laughs> and, and I didn't even know why because you know, as it turned out, it was in it was, I was saving it up for Chill of the Night, mm. but I didn't know we were even going to do Chill of the Night. I mean, that in the back of my head was like that was a powerful story to me from um, Legends of, you know, that mini series that from the. Uh, was it early eighties where they showed Batman's origin and I'd read oh, the legend, gold legend of the Batman. Yeah. Legend of the Batman. Yes. Well, I had read that, but I'd also read the original fifties stories yeah. that inspired that and how lean Lynn Ween had Cuisinarded up the, the two different stories into one. I was like, Oh yeah. Batman's father wore a bat costume. And so anyway, we kind of adapted that Lynn Ween story. Um, but with other stuff, you know, we threw in the Phantom Stranger and the Spectre to make it a Brave and the Bold episode. Um, but yeah, Dini, we we kind of, you know, we we would break story together, knowing what we wanted before we handed it out. But yeah, he would always nail it. But Michael tended to assign the 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 the, the episodes that he knew was going were going to get a uh, a big reaction. Dini tended to get them. <laughs> the uh, the segment in Batman Strangers Cases where you do Batmanga. Oh uh, God, yeah. That, with that um, Lord Deathman, and yeah. oh, it's brilliant. It it captures <laughs> the spirit of what it's you know adapting so well. It's, it's I, uh, you know that's the thing that was I don't know I call that show that show whole series was the improv show because in improv you are not allowed to say no. Right. And so, and working with Michael because he was the perfect, um, the perfect person to work with, because he all he cares about is if it's if it's human and if it's funny. Like if it's if there's a human element angle to it, and he he didn't know anything about comics, which was a benefit because 
sometimes writers that are comic book fans, they don't they try to fix the comic, meaning they they'll if they want to adapt a story, they'll change it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, you can't change it, you know. And so with him, it was great because if I say, oh, there's this old episode issue of blah blah blah, and he'd be like, okay, what's the point of it? And I would have to break it down to him, like, and he'd say, oh, so it's about this. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. When really I just wanted to draw spaceships or something, but uh, <laughs> it's like the Batman of Zurinar. The uh, oh, yeah, I wanted to talk about that episode too. You know, the story itself was very short, and it didn't really have an angle other than Batman gets superpowers. Yeah. And he's like, "Well, why are we doing that?" And then so then the he came up with kind of the or we figured out the the Superman kind of making the uh, Superman comparisons. Mm-hmm. You know, what if Batman's the Batman on this planet was Clark Kent, basically. Anyway, so that's how we adapted those little weird Silver Age stories to make them relevant to to now and still have fun with them. And talking about that episode, you had Kevin Conroy come in to voice the yeah. Zerinar Batman alongside Dedrick Bainer. Right, and I—I I mean, the the funny thing is that, and I, you know, I don't—I mean, Kevin's great. I always liked—I always like using Kevin in interesting ways, so that's why mm-hmm. he was. Phantom Stranger, you know, everything, anything but Batman, because he's done it, you know, and he can do so much more, and he's really funny, actually. Um, I don't know, I was, this is off the top, but he did a, a spot on Venture Brothers, where he right. plays this really funny, perverted uh, superhero, and he was so freaking funny. <laughs> oh my so God, good. that character. Anyway, so anyway, I was like, oh yeah, it'd be cool to, to have them in the booth doing Batman. Because, I mean, Kevin is a little... Has he? He's uh, um, um, what's the word? Uh, possessive of Batman a little bit. Wasn't rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. But so I was like, I'm going to see some sparks. Well, you know, it just so happened neither one of them were able to do it in the same day. So I never got. I wanted that photo. Uh, oh, uh, so badly, but they never. Yeah, they weren't in the same room uh, at either record actually. Um, a chill of the night or uh, or that one. Um, but he again, he was. He was great playing that because he played Zurinar Batman pretty much exactly like he would have played Bitaz Batman. Mm. But he's in that ridiculous costume, which makes yeah. him cool. He made Zurinar cool. And I was like, wow, this was so, that's one of my favorite episodes, actually. That's a good one. That's for sure. Yeah. But you got some really cool guest voices throughout the show as well. Yeah. I mean, you had yeah. Michael Rosenbaum came in as Dead Man, which oh, was yeah. fantastic. Uh, you had Ali Ermi come in as Wildcat. <laughs> yeah. That's just brilliant. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, he had stories. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And I, again, that's all Andrea Romano. I mean, she just, her Rolodex, or I, was, I guess contactless is the current term, but uh, is deep. Like, she could, you know, I mean, we just have Tippi Hedren in for, for Queen Hippolyta. I'm like, Tippi Hedren? Whoa. Like, Hollywood royalty. <laughs> yeah. Like, people you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, it was, you know, I mean, but she's always been like, I mean, Justice League was the same thing, you know, but yeah, she, for Brave and the Bold, she really, you know, we agreed that we wanted a mixture of, you know, like big names or not big names, but people who were, you know, like who would we want to work with? And also because a lot of these characters are coming back again and again. Mm-hmm. what actors do we just like being around you know because right. when they if they're going to like aquaman i mean john dimaggio is is always going to be great 
and but he's great. He's just good to be around. He's funny. He's 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 just good people. I mean, most voice actors, I have to say, are. You know, there's not that many assholes. <laughs> Excuse my French again. <laughs> there are not that many voice actors who are just unpleasant, you know, awful people. At least not in my experience. But you know, you get him and and Cree Summer and uh, Michael um, Kevin Michael Richardson in a room, mm-hmm. and it's a crack up. I mean, if we could record. The, the the stuff they do between the the sessions oh my gosh that's what we well, need it'd be very blue i would yeah, say I'll that ah right <laughs> <laughs> it would be very blue yeah but uh but yeah no the casting on that was just every you know it was just a delight to hear people do it and and also the you know when they realize and they come in and realize oh we want this to be fun but not stupid like not not corny, but you can get you can go as big as you want to go, and um, yeah. they feel liberated in a way. They would just bring so much to it, mm. and uh, I don't know. It was it was a great time. Like, I feel like the show, maybe because of how Batman is designed in in Brave and the Bold, right. it gets maybe compared to or people think about the Adam West Batman, Batman sixty six. I mean, I think that's valid because when I look at sixty six. It wasn't at the time, but when I look back at 66 and after having read the 50s comics, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, well, that's what he's doing. He is, I mean, when there is you when you read those Silver Age comics out loud and you re- watch Adam West, he's the same guy. I don't, now, granted, people who were 12 years old at the time that the 66 show came out, because I've worked with them, hate Adam West, hated that show. Because it wasn't in their heads what they thought they were reading. But when I read it, having, you know, being coming later, I'm like, yeah, I see. This is Burt Ward. You know, like 50s Batman and 50s Robin is pretty much Burt Ward and, and Adam West. And uh, that's what they, because that's what the only thing they could look to. Because the 60s comics were starting to evolve, but they weren't really, they hadn't gotten that far away from what was going on in the 50s. No. Um, yeah, we're still pretty dumb, (laughs) or not dumb. I love the 50 stories and they're not, they're all very intricate actually. And, um, but they're innocent. There's a, there's a, I don't know. There's a joy about them that I really Mm. dig now as even as an older person reading and I'm like, wow, this is, and then I've, I've always come across stories that I'm like, shoot, I wish we had, I'd known about this story when we were doing the show. But uh, but yeah, I, so Adam West in my head is Batman. I mean, he was he was doing a straight version of those '50s era comics. It's just yeah. you know seeing those blown up in real life. Yeah, they're going to be funny. And then in Chill of the Night, even though they hadn't voiced Thomas and Martha in previous episodes, they were other people. Yeah, you had Adam West and. Catwoman, Julie Newmar, Catwoman, come yes, in to Ms. be Miss Newmar, yes. Thomas and Martha Wayne. So that um, must have been a bit of a buzz being an Adam West fan. Uh, well, I don't, you know, I've been ever since I came out here to work on an animation. My only goal was to work with Adam West. I mean, really, <laughs> that's all. That's it. Well, the thing about Darn. Chill of the Night is that he could not come in. So he, uh, he was. That was on. He did a phone patch. That's what we used to call him. Oh wow! I mean, now it'd be Zoom or something. But back then, so he he was out of town and he could not come in. 
So he had to do all, that first chill of the night. He was not, I didn't meet him there. I met him, well, I met him and that I was talking to him on the phone, <laughs> you know, and going, Ugh. but, uh, <laughs> much like so, we are. Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> okay, that I was totally unfulfilled. It was, even though that episode was chock full of people, I mean, Richard Mall and I mean, we had everybody and I did get to meet Julie Newmar. She was oh, great. Cool. But Adam West didn't show, you know, he wasn't in the room. So I was like, okay. So I had to cast him in something else. I so, <laughs> Second season, we did uh, the um, Plague of the Prototypes, and we had this Gigantor robot that Batman, unbeknownst to anyone ever, has a giant robot in the Batcave. And we were like, who's going to, who should do this? And I'm like, oh, it's Adam West. The only reason I'm doing this story is because I want Adam West. And then I also thought, wow, how perverse is it that Batman would have a giant robot that he gave his dead father's voice to? So. That seems to track. <laughs> well, also, I mean, I like messing with the the mythos. So, like in um, in this Christmas episode, we did a flashback that before they went into the alley, Bruce Wayne, little Bruce Wayne, had been a little shit. Yes, yes, <laughs> I talked to Brian about this. Rat. Yeah, I talked to um, I talked to Brian about this because I was like, hey, that's not the usual way that goes he usually, yeah he usually comes out all happy from that movie theater and yeah, yeah. yeah no, was, he was disappointed mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was a little brat because That's i was right. like i'm like you know bruce wayne i think i think adding a little guilt to batman's motivation to to mm-hmm. fix stuff you know it's kind of like it makes spider-man work right. you know spider-man's a lot of spider-man's motivation is he's guilty because he didn't stop that guy who ended up killing his uncle so yeah. you know, like <laughs> the way you did the, uh, I guess origin the the crime alley scene in that episode, mm-hmm. I said to Brian uh, that was class. It was all you see is the three of them walk into the darkness, and then well, you just you know, see the flash of the gun. There's nothing else, and it's yeah. I'm, and I'm wondering, did we were we did we have more? I remember we had to go back and forth on that. Like we had to muffle those bullet sounds to where it, I don't know if you even hear them. You may just hear. You see I, flashes, but I don't know yeah, if you hear I think, them. I don't think there's a sound. I think it's just the flashes, no. and that's yeah, what made it classy. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No. It, yeah. Everybody, well, everybody who does it now does the the pearls drop and everything, yeah. and the, you know that's that, yeah. that sort of iconic thing. And I'm, I'm glad you didn't do that. I really love the way that that was done. Nah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because BTAS never showed a. I don't. I mean, I'm pretty sure they never had a crime alley scene. And B, the original BTES, did they? I don't remember. Actually, you could be right. I don't remember one. Yeah. Well, I definitely knew Bruce. Bruce has told me he never wanted to do Joe Chill. Hmm. Uh, he never wanted Batman to catch uh, Joe Chill, or you know. And so I went because I was like, okay, if I'm going to do make a mark on this show, I have to do stuff Bruce wouldn't do. Right. <laughs> and so I was like, let's build a whole show or episode around Joe Chill. And you know, I but I remembered that story, you know, the, the Lynn Ween story. So I'm like, that'd be really good. So This is the first time Batman's ever confronted Joe Chill, is it not? Or definitely on TV anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I just remember from that, yeah, I just remember from the gold, that Silver Age story. And then, and I, you know, we, you know, definitely that was an influence, even the way he looked and everything. Um, but yeah, I just thought, okay, that's something. And then. Of course, we threw supervillain. Like in the comic, I think it was just regular gangsters that yeah. often. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
I don't know. And also, I wanted that shot of from the comic where he's at his, he's kneeling at his bed by candlelight, praying. Yes. You know, saying, and I was like, I have to do that because that to me is iconic, and that's again something no one had really shown. You know, so what's weird about series? He stayed. Mm-hmm. Sorry, James. I was going to say I, I love okay. how he stayed um, faithful to, to the icons. The iconic stuff in that, like I say, with the it was Untold Legend of the Batman. So I just remember the, the name of the series. Yes. Um, and then from that story, and as I was watching the episode, I'm thinking, I wonder if they're going to do it. Is it going <laughs> to end the same way? You know, this, this, that, that's how that's how he yeah. how it ends up, if you like. And then with the Doom Patrol episode, I'm watching that, and then when it gets to the point <laughs> that we're going to put you on this island, I'm thinking they're going to blow up the Doom Patrol, and and you stay true <laughs> to all of that. And it's not you're not just it's not just copying out the story. You know, no, I mean, we panel kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing about Michael is I would have, you know, me, I'm like, I just wanted to do that story. But Michael pushes, you know, he made that story about the Doom Patrol coming back together. You know, he made that, you know, he, it was his, I don't know if it was just his idea. We, I mean, we pitched these stories and J.M. DeMattis, uh, who I'm actually doing a Justice League comic with now, uh, he wrote that story. The, the script. So anyway, I don't know if it was JM as much or Michael, but Michael said we need a story to build this on. We can't just we can't just do a story where they get killed. We have to make it about something. We we have to use this episode to make people care about them. And it's all you know that's a heavy lifting because we haven't seen the we hadn't seen the Doom Patrol in any other like I hadn't wasn't able to put them in a teaser before. So, you know, that episode that introduces them and goes through their history and shows a lot of their major villains, and then we kill them, <laughs> you know. So it was heavy <laughs> lifting to make people care, you know. And, but I really wanted it to be authentic to, to, the, to that story as much um, as possible. And they let us. I mean, like, that's what I mean. We were so under the radar on that show. <laughs> And that kill off people willy-nilly. So, and, you know, I think also what was going on at the time was uh, DC and Warner uh, were going through a lot of um, shake-up as far as people in charge and stuff. And I really just think we fell through the cracks because a lot of stuff was – there was bigger fish to fry. Definitely worked to the benefit of the show. Yeah. Being under the radar never hurts as mm. far as being able to do what you want. It might hurt as far as getting, you know, money to make shows and – getting the press you want to get attention to the show. But as far as the creative process, you know, being ignored has its benefits. <laughs> Honestly, we could just sit here all day and talk to you about this because it's just, it's, <laughs> we love the show so much, but there's a couple of things I did want to ask about. Yeah, sure. um, so one of my favorite episodes is battle of the superheroes. Oh, cool. Yeah. Mine too. My understanding was prior to season three, you weren't allowed to use Superman. Is that right? Right. It was weird. We had there was some licensing issues with DC, and this this also goes back to when I was talking about regime changes because prior to the regime change, we were just not allowed to use those two for whatever reason. It was very vague, and then once that switch happened, we were given two shots, and I don't know where this you know what who decided how many, but. We were told you can use Superman twice and you can use Wonder Woman twice. And that was it. And so we, you know, I'd do sneaky things like I'd have a Justice League shot where I'd show him from the back. 
Nice. <laughs> you know, or I, you know, like I allude to them. But, but with that, the thing about that was that meant anyone in their world was off limits too. So like we couldn't have Brainiac show up in an episode if Superman wasn't in it. Uh, you right. know, like there's like certain all the villains that a character that belong to a hero fall under his license. So you can't just willy nilly use you know, this person's villain or that person's villain if they're not, you're not allowed to use the license. So it was, it was complicated. It was annoying to me, but in hindsight, I'm glad because if we could, could have used Wonder Woman and Superman more, I think there would have been pressure to put them in more episodes, a lot more. Mm -hmm. And it would have taken away from the, the um, unique quality of having so many unknown characters show up. What I love though is the the first time you get to use him and you make him a dick because you <laughs> oh, you, yes. you use the red. Well, that was that like, was ah. all Jelnick. That was Michael because you know at the time Super Dickery that website was like all the rage and uh, you know I I had seen it but I you know again I was a, my DC thing is. I don't see a lot of irony in DC. <laughs> I see, I always take it at face value. I know it's weird, but I'm weird, so I like it. But he was like, "Oh, this is gold," you know, like doing these covers. And so he kind of we, you know, we built the story around those covers. Um, oh, it's such a fantastic. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so. But good. it was like we wanted it to also be a celebration of who Superman was, as, right? You know, or at least that version of Superman. So you know, making him. Like in the comics, those covers were straight. It wasn't like he was under red kryptonite when he was being an, a jerk. Mm-hmm. He was just, in the 50s, he was just a jerk. Like everyone was a jerk <laughs> in the 50s, apparently, if you look at DC covers. There's some cruel, <laughs> there's some cruel stuff going on. But um, but yeah, that was fun. I mean, I, doing that version of a Superman was something I've always wanted to do. It's such a silver age thing to do, though, just to pull out the yeah. red K. Yeah, um, and yeah. Then I loved the the, the the switch of identities at the end. It's you could have pulled that from a from a fifties comic book. Yep, we did. It was um, it was so, in their yes, first yeah. uh, world's finest. In the world's finest, yeah, exactly. <laughs> least, I mean, and when you do the this the, the Jimmy Olsen bit, Mike, you and I were talking yeah. prior to this about the transformations of Jimmy Olsen, and he's oh, a yeah, porcupine yeah. boy, and, and you did there was that sequence of that, and you did one episode, and it's just all these yeah these crazy things that go on. Yeah, I, I, you know, the thing I, I mean, normally, if I had been working with, you know, more responsible people instead of Michael, like, uh, (laughs) like Alan Burnett, if I had said, I want to do these, uh, a montage of Jimmy changing, you know, I mean, you know, Alan Burnett, he's a great story editor. I loved working with him, um, on the movies, but his, his, you know, he's got to make sense of it. And um, Michael doesn't have that issue, so <laughs> thank uh, God. Because I mean, worked. I would just throw, you know, I'd say, you know, anything that I remembered or I, you know, it, you know, I didn't want to have rules about what we did or why we did them. It was just, and so I had no idea how it played to audiences who don't know comics. Um, evidently, I, I mean, I hear from people who were weaned on that show. The reason they're DC fans is because of that show. Mm. So, I'm, I mean, I hope it represents what the comics I was reading as a kid. I wanted to replicate that, you know, in the stories I told. Without a lot of context. That's the thing. <laughs> they don't, <laughs> it's just, you know, weird stuff happens. So, I think what it also does there, though, as well, because you, you were talking before about how you were, you know, grew up reading comics and the comics you were reading. I started off on 
the same kinds of, of Batman stories. Yeah. And a lot of it was Brave and the Bold, and they were they were one and yeah. done. And uh-huh. so you were just right. dropping these characters. This is the first time I ever saw the Swamp Thing, or the first time I ever saw Metal Men. Um, oh yeah, all of, all of these odd characters, and I think it really mm-hmm. did that because the 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 show was just like that. They're like those. It, you didn't have yeah. to. You could pick up any one of those stories, and all you need to know was that guy's Batman. Yeah. I missed right. that. Yeah, yeah, Batman. Yeah, completely. And the, Batman is the. All you need to know is this is who Batman is. He is mm-hmm. us. Yeah. He is the reader. How he reacts to these characters coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, often we'd have him do a rundown of who the character was if we needed to have some idea. But really, we we realized it's not important to do a who's who entry on every character. Batman, their personality is what mattered. Who, who are, what is their character? Not what their powers are yet. We'll show that. But what kind of person are they to Batman? Are they kind of a elitist? Are they kind of a goofy? Are they... Do they like Batman? Do they, you know, like, so it was all about personality and character rather than a rundown of, you know, their backstory, you know, unless that was the episode we were doing. But really, usually we didn't even do many origins or anything. It was like the Bob Haney stuff, like, which again, that was the, that was the first Batman book I was, because it was economical. I mean, I, you know. I had a, a meager allowance, and Brave and the Bold and Marvel Team Up got you two heroes for the price of one. Oh. <laughs> That's it. That was it, and, and Marvel Marvel uh, two and one. Uh, you know, yes. those are the economical books because you got more yeah. money, more get bang for your buck. You got all the all the right. stars, and, they were, and you, you didn't have yeah. to read five comics before it and five comics nope. after. You just read it, and then you moved it nope. on. He's passing yeah, it to somebody so, else. Yeah, yeah Brave and the Bold, and so yeah, sure. it was very ironic that I got to do that. That's why the show is great because you just you know you don't know who's going to pop up next. Literally, it yeah. could be anybody from from right. the most obscure DC right. character. It's just great. Um, speaking of, with Mightfall, which is the the finale of the whole thing, yeah, you had Ambush Bug, <laughs> and it was perfect, and and it was voiced by Henry Winkler, the Fonz. Yeah, <laughs> couldn't be more perfect for the, the the story you were telling. Yeah, well, again, I give I'll give Michael. And and probably Ben Jones some credit as far as because they, I was against doing a finale because I was like you know you think about the sitcoms we love, and most of them didn't have a final episode and that's why they live on forever and ever, you know like Gilligan's Island well they did have a finale and it sucked but I mean later, <laughs> but you know like most sitcoms don't don't have a final episode they just you know. They just show them, and then they start from the beginning again, and it's like a loop. Um, and so when they said they pitched a final episode, I went, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. And then they pitched me the Lincoln thing, and I went, oh, that's brilliant. Shit, that was yeah. good. And, uh, and then the whole idea of us being canceled and stuff, and then jumping the shark, and then, you know, the thing about Michael is he's, he's, he's a generation or two behind me. So his whole point of reference was everything – from the early eighties forward. And I think as a kid, he watched the happy days and the mm-hmm. jumping, the shark though. He knew all, everything was a, an eighties reference to him. Right. And so he was adamant that we, you know, he wanted Henry Winkler and, and then he even threw the gag in about Ted McGinley. And yeah, like that was, you know, but it, yeah, it made it, it just, yeah, that it was, it was just and poignant too. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And it was yeah. the the fact that you got the guy who 
unwittingly uh, originated jumping the shark on happy right. days you, you got yes. the fonz like that yeah. that whole phrase comes from that show and then yes. you got him yeah. to to be the guy and he yeah. i'm sure coins the phrase uh, or uses the phrase rather in the finale in might fall oh yeah well no he was completely in on the joke as was ted mcginley like they they were completely aware of what we were doing and and why and they were all in it was just it was really uh I mean, we were really blessed on that because no, no one took offense. They thought it was great. He, you know, and, and both of them were great guys, you know, like Henry Winkler's a real, you know, a good human being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it's just, and the thing about that, how meta that is, Yeah, you know, that's, so that good. was Michael's thing is meta. And it, I mean, it plays out when you see what he, he and uh, Aaron are doing with, uh, or, or did do with the uh, Titans Go. I mean that that was a warm up that uh, that my fall was a warm up for what they ended up doing later, <laughs> you know, annoying the 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 crap out of people. <laughs> but it's so. I mean, I was sitting there watching it, and you know, Ted McGinley becomes Aquaman, Aquaman. <laughs> and I was like, he's not going to say married with children on a Batman cartoon, surely? And he totally drops the name of the show, and oh man, I was. <laughs> I was just I don't know how we got away with like again so they were they were completely asleep at the wheel on us cuz I mean there's stuff I know for a fact now we would not have been able to get away with it just mm-hmm. uh, you know the the things that are in place now as far as rules and stuff like there's I mean we just we got away with a lot we got did, away with a lot how uh, how like obviously you knew the the show was ending at that point mm-hmm, yeah. when you went in to make mm-hmm. that show was it actually because they say in the episode or Batmite says, you know, we want a darker version of Batman again. Was that actually the reason or was it just actually going to come to an end regardless? And- uh, well, I mean, well, they were actually we were told we were going to end after the first, the second season. And then the toy company turned around and said, oh, no, you can't. We have a toy line coming out, which thank God. I mean, we. But they were they were thinking we were going to be two seasons done, right? And so when we went into the third season, we were like, okay, this was a reprieve, but we this is definitely the end, probably. But we we kind of put off thinking about the last episode. We were just like, what what do we want to do in this third season? Because then it was no holds barred. Like it was like, okay, what what's on the list that we haven't gotten to? What did I want to do that I you know so. Um, but I, we hadn't really discussed the final episode. And by the time we had gotten to the final episode around that, I was already in development on what, you know, it did ultimately didn't happen, but they were, I was getting pulled to develop the next Batman show while I was oh, still really? making brave and the bold. I had two pitches I was having to work on. So I had to, you know, like, um, but anyway, all that's to say is, yeah, we knew we were going to end. Um, but I didn't have a, a firm idea of how we were going to end. And uh, Ben Jones, the director, and Michael, I guess they had talked and they pit, they basically had pitched the meta, you know, the idea of the meta show. Um, but they didn't have all the details yet. But um, and I again, I was like, I don't know, I don't know. And I'm I'm being pulled in all directions trying to figure out what the next Batman show would be, which I really didn't want to do, but I was kind of being forced to. And um, and they pitched the Lincoln thing, because Michael that was something Michael had been pitching since the first season. He's like, "What if Abraham Lincoln and Batman teamed up?" 
And, you know, I mean, I have the nerve to say, oh, that's just stupid. Out of all the stuff we did on that series, I was like, I don't get it. Why? Why? What's that's dumb. And then he, when he, so when he pitches for the final episode, he added the tag of, of Lincoln being an alternate universe Lincoln. Yeah, that was good. And I was like, oh, why didn't you say that? Like, because I was like, there's something, you know, kind of blasphemous about Batman going back into, you know, American history and fixing something. Right. But then he made it alternate universe and I suddenly I got it. I went, oh, why didn't you? I was like, you could have said that two years ago and I would have been okay. So, uh, so then that was the hook for me. And then whatever else they wanted to do was fine. So then we started working on the, the idea of Batmite getting the show canceled. And it kind of just kind of evolved from there. I mean, it was our story meetings on that show were so brief. It was like every the pieces, you know, we'd sit in the room. Michael and I would kind of discuss what we kind of wanted to do. We'd bring in a writer, and we'd have. I don't think any of them ever went beyond an hour. And I know wow. shows where story meetings go on for six hours, days. They have to do retreats to break a story. And we we were so economical on that show because I knew what I wanted. Michael knew how to make what I wanted happen or he had his own ideas. And it was just, it was so, and we he says it even, it was the easiest working situation either one of us had had, <laughs> you know, or have had since. But um, um, is there anything else about that? Well, also the neon street luge thing. Yeah, I was going to ask something. you about that. <laughs> Sam, so Sam Register, you know, when he talks about selling, um, he was our boss. He's our boss now. Uh, well, my boss, Michael's gone. But uh, <laughs> he, one of his things about selling shows is he's like, you know, you sell a superhero show, you can't, you have to make sure the toys match the hero. You can't just uh, give them stupid stuff. Like, you know, and he would say, so Batman doesn't need a, you know, and he would always say, neon super street luge. Like, that's the stupidest thing you could give Batman. Yeah. And then he's talking about toys and stuff, which, you know, because Mattel would try to, give Batman stuff he wouldn't use. You know, all the toy companies do. They just want to sell toys. So so that was the running joke he would always talk about. Like, that's how you don't do toy properties. And so we said, oh, let's throw that in the show, you know. And so that's how that came. So basically, every wrong thing you could do with Batman to get him canceled, is that was the gist of it. And that was one of the things we gave him in. And actually, Sam does his own voice in that episode when he's, when he's basically canceling us <laughs> yeah nice because you even get a name drop in that episode i know i know <laughs> yeah very nice no lines though uh, no lines. no lines because again i was by the time we had that show we come around like i wasn't there for the record of of my boss recording that line and um and we, i didn't you know i could have written myself in but i was like i don't want to do that but i was like some i was doing development on this other Batman show that didn't happen that ultimately beware the Batman was the show that became was was created but I didn't have anything to do with that so yeah no I, I I'm glad I didn't only my only contribution ultimately was well not my only contribution because I had to produce it and edit it and 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 you know see it through finish but I changed one line of the script I added boys and girls to Batman's final monologue because the, the monologue was written. It was very poignant. I was like, but it needed something else. And I was like, oh, he should, he should address 
Because uh, I always, that's the other thing about Batman. I loved that when they did it in the comics where he would literally look out of the panel at the audi- the reader hmm. and talk directly to them. And then Adam West did it in the, even in the show a few times where he would, he would look at the audience. And I was like, I, I want Batman, our Batman to do that. And I well, want him to address everyone as the boys and girls. Because ultimately, this Batman appeals to the kid in us. Right. You know. Even as Brian pointed out, that's how Happy Days ended. Is it? With um, Really? I didn't know that. Isn't it? Had I, I don't think I... Oh, really? Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, how Cunningham, if... Um, for my dimmed wow. up memory, because um, it, it ends with the with the wedding on Happy Days, and then and then um, Tom Bosley he addresses the camera and says, "Thanks for joining us on our Happy Days." Oh my gosh! I did not, you know. Well, I had long when when I was gone by the when they jumped the shark, I jumped with them. So, <laughs> so I don't. I never saw the final episode of Happy Days. That is so cool to know. <laughs> well, now I'm because I, I mean I'm sure people think that we might have been doing an homage to that too, but I didn't know about it. Maybe I don't know. We did not. We didn't know that. At least I didn't know. Something that. to ask Michael, maybe, but it's... I don't think Michael knew that. Well, because I, it was my idea to say have him address the the audience, right? Because I was just saying I want him to do what Adam West did and what the comics do. Maybe Michael did remember it from Happy Days, but he didn't mention it to me. But wow, that's cool. Uh, nice. I oh, just wow. remembering it right. It's not some sort of fever dream, but yeah, that, I remember watching that. That, was, that, that sounds too. like that, that would be. Really cool. I mean, other. I mean, I'm sure other shows have have done that, but not modern shows. So yeah, no. that was wow. Okay. That was that was <laughs> such a good finale. I mean, even when you see all of the guest star heroes, yeah, you know, like sort of a rap party. And you've got yeah. the crew behind them taking all the props down from the Batcave, and oh, yeah. it's oh, it's so perfect. The feels standing oh. and all of that. That's yeah. right. Oh, yeah. that was all Ben. I mean, you know, Ben Ben Jones. Well, all the directors, we tried to assign them scripts that would play to their strengths. But if we had a really bizarre episode or high concept episode, we always tried to make sure Ben could get it because he he's, he has more ideas than he can ever. You know, his brain just works. He was perfectly in sync with that episode and 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 oh my god. It's the stuff he added to that, like that yeah, the the I mean I think the script said something about prop the Batmobile as a prop. But he, he you know, he just he executed that and he also did you know, he picked out all he, well, I had to prove him, but he 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 placed all the characters who were in that party scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 'cause that's a that was a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of work, but uh, it was so worth it. I mean, that. I mean, it's rare for me to work, having worked on a show, and still get choked up looking at it because I'm like, I know, you know, I, you know, I was part of that. I did it, but you know that I'm you know, like, wow, we did it. <laughs> it was something I didn't want to do, and I'm like, I'm so glad we did end up doing it that way. Honestly, for my money, it is one of the best TV finales. It is. It's just perfectly done. It's it really is perfectly done. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I didn't do what I mean. Originally, I was like, I wanted to. I thought I. I don't know. If, we didn't get far with this. I don't even know if I pitched it to Michael. I was like, we should do New Heart. We should do it where, you know, it's all a dream. It's Bita's Batman right. having a dream. <laughs> and I, I for uh, a, I think in in my head that's what I thought we would end up doing 
if I, but I never, I don't think I consciously actually expressed it. And I'm glad I didn't because that might have been something he would have gone with. But the, where this, what we ended up doing was so much better. And also, it was, a, you know, that would have been a total ripoff. But uh, I was like, because I, I kind of thought of the show as, as okay, well, if Batman were, you know, B-Taz Batman were, you know, locked up somewhere and, and drugged full of LSD, Brave and the Bold would be the show running through his head. Uh, <laughs> you know, like if he was, so you know, but uh, so that's, that, that was the whole conceit, or that. Brave and the Bold was the Earth 2 version of B-Taz. You know, like how mm -hmm. in the old days the comics had Earth 1, Earth 2 Batman. <laughs> I mentioned this on Twitter, but that scene in the finale, we have CGI, uh, the teaser for a CGI Batgirl show. Right. Um, yeah. And Batman gets all excited because I didn't know the timeline and I was thinking, okay, they're going to show a teaser for, the, for what's <laughs> supposed to take over from Brave mm -hmm. and the Bold. And it starts, and it's CGI, and I was like, they're not going to show Beware the Batman. <laughs> like, no, surely no, it's not that no. far in development. And then it's even better, because it's it's Batgirl. And I yeah. want that show yeah. a lot. I, you know, the thing about that was, that was just a happy accident, because I knew that they had commissioned, um, they were doing development. They had development stuff going on, and they were doing different characters, where they would, you know, develop, they give them money, and then they make either they do a, you know, like maybe a storyboard or they write a script. And in the case of that, they had actually had a CGI company do a little bit of a, there's actually much more to that Batgirl segment, actually. We only took out a few seconds um, to use for the show. But I saw it and I was like, this is really cool. But for some reason, they had, you know, commissioned it. And then, you know, and Lauren Montgomery uh, did... Voltron and worked up for you know got her start on Justice League yep. uh, for us you know she's now you know animation royalty right. um, she she boarded and directed that I believe I believe yes and uh, and they had commissioned and it was this beautiful little gem and it was just sitting that it didn't go anywhere I don't know why or what but I was like why what you know I was like we have to show this because if if we hadn't put in this show. No one would have seen it. You know, I don't know if they later released it in its entirety, but um, it's it's like, I don't know if it's like two or three minutes or, or maybe it's four minutes. Anyway, I was like, well, we, gotta, we can't just, I want to use that, you know, and it just fit in perfectly with, with the context of what we were doing in the episode. It was like, wow, that's perfect. That's exactly what the next show, I don't even know if, I knew at the time that that was the next show. Maybe I did because I was developing. I was developing a Batman show that I knew was going to have to be CGI. Right. So I, maybe it was all played together. But we, of course, didn't have any footage <laughs> of the show that I ended up not being able to make. But um, but we did have the Batgirl stuff. And I was like, this is great. The only danger, I was like, yeah, people are going to want this show. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and rightfully so, because I, I, I mean, I'm like, why not? You know, it, it would have been awesome. I don't know. I don't know why things don't happen. You know, there's a lot of, if, like I would say, if everyone saw all the development stuff that n never sees the light of day, you know, tests and animatics and things that, that get done but don't get, a, don't get greenlit to go forward. But I was like, that needs to be seen. That that thing looks really good. And it helps what we're doing, you know. 
we need to get it trending on Twitter. Hashtag release the Batgirl cut. Or well, something. also we and we even the the having Batmite react badly like you know a pissant fan would. Batgirl, <laughs> you know, like I mean, unfortunately, we thought it was satire, but actually, it's not. It, you know, that basically might fall as a documentary about bad fans <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> trying to cancel things. I was, it was very forward looking, which we didn't even know back then, but you know. It is. <laughs> the earlier Batmite episode as well was that, that great line, which is just not my Batman. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the guys yeah. Well, sitting in the condom going, this is, yeah, this is, this is real. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I don't remember. I mean, I knew I wanted to use Batmite, but I had no, I don't, you know, and it was always there in the, in the character of him being the ultimate Batman fan. I mean, it was always there. I don't, you know, even in the, the, the reviled 77 show, that's basically what he was, Batman's biggest fan. He, you know, he says it. Mm. So um, I was like, and I was like, did we really? I don't think we even, it wasn't like we made it any better. But up before that, Batmite was one of those characters, if you just said Batmite, people would have a fit. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, Batmite, blah, blah, blah. He makes Batman look stupid, blah, blah, blah. And he was, you know, I think next to Aquaman. He was probably one of our breakout characters. We well, so. had Paul Rubens voice him. Well, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. When you you have him, I mean, this is, again perfect casting because mm-hmm. he didn't play him. He he gave him that weird angle that was slightly menacing. That right. that you know, if someone had just given him a goofy, you know, like the the kind Bat might had in the '77 show, the annoying goofy, you know. <laughs> that would have been a killer, but you know, having Paul Rubens do it, and he is, he was a huge fan. He understood exactly what we were going for, and um, you know, again, we brought him back a few times just because he was so cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Making unappealing characters cool was was the most. <laughs> that was the mantra of that show was <laughs> trying to. If the fans hate a character, then we we've got to use it. We have to figure out a way to make them like it <laughs> i will fight anyone who says that's not the best aquaman it is honestly I know. right there with you right there i don't get it i would have loved to have done more with him just so, so good. i think yeah and no no's i mean they again they gave us they let me do a scooby-doo raven the bold thing and the yeah. first thing i said was how do i get aquaman in this i don't care if it doesn't <laughs> fit <laughs> he's got to be in it you know All right, I think we're going to leave it there for part one of the interview and be sure to come back for the second half of our interview with James Tucker. In the meantime, if you enjoy the show, why not come chat with us on Twitter? Tell us what you thought about the episode. You can find us. Where can they find us, Brian? Where are we on Twitter? Handily enough, at The Rambling Geek. Hey, that's pretty easy. Let us know if you listened to the show, what you thought. If you want to be one of the cool kids, you can support our show by subscribing and leaving a rating and review wherever you get your podcast. It really does help us, and it's free. We have merch available now over in our Threadless store. The link's in the episode notes if you want to pick up a sweet mug or tea or sticker or something. We will be back with part two. Until then, keep on rambling, geeks. We're out. This has been a TRG production. Ramble on, geeks. That's the end. Thanks for listening.